Welcome to this webinar series, Physical Activity Researcher Podcast and International Society for Physical Activity and Health, ISPA, have started collaboration. We have edited their webinars to audio-only podcast versions, so you can listen them also on the go. Our mission is to advance science and share scientific knowledge, so if your organization has relevant webinars or lectures and would like to get more audience to them, please let us know. But without further ado, let's jump to the webinar. So hello everyone, welcome to the ISPAR Sedentary Behaviour Council webinar. This is our second webinar of a series. We're hoping every couple of months to um, have a webinar running part of the ISPAR SBC. So this one, we are looking at building an international database on sedentary behaviours. And we've got some great speakers lined up for today. So how we'll kind of run today is we'll go through the topics. I myself will be speaking uh, on behalf of the Sedentary Behaviour Council, looking at the members project, which we have um, upcoming. We then have Dr. Lauren Shearer talking about the International Children's Accelerometry Database and then Dr. Mark Tremblay on the Sedentary Behaviour Research Network. Um, so Lauren and Mark's presentation will be about 20 minutes. Mine will be very brief, just because we've only really started the, the project. Um, and then we'll have about 15 minutes for a panel discussion. So in the chat box, feel free to ask questions throughout. Um, Lauren and Mark are present as well, so they'll be happy to answer any of your questions. If you have any questions for the panel discussion at the end, if you can put that in the Q&A and then we can look through those and have a nice panel discussion at the end, where all three of us will be live there um, for some great discussions. So if I lead off talking quickly about the Sanitary Behaviour Council program. So I'm a postdoctoral research fellow at the University of British Columbia. My current research is focused on seated exercises in those living with a stroke and a mobility impairment. So the idea of the um, Centre Behaviour Council project is we wanted to, to, we wanted to engage members. So we wanted to have a relevant research project for our members. Um, what we decided which was interesting for us is looking at the effects of sitting time, as well as the effects of interrupting sitting time on health-related outcomes in those with multiple chronic diseases or in a, in a range of different chronic diseases. So, the QR code here on the side is a link to a survey which we designed and sent out in a newsletter end of last year for um, ISPAR members. And the idea of this is to provide any inputs into the actual project. If you are interested, then you can also put your name forward and then be involved in the project. So if you are interested in or want to give any feedback, just um, scan this QR code, takes you to the survey link, and then you can pro provide your input. Um, what will be great, so with the, another part of the objective is this, so as well as being a, a project for members, we actually want to um, ultimately in the end try to create this, or the data we get, try to create it into an online database accessible for everyone. And as today is talking about databases, it'll be great if even we can link with ICAD or even with the Sedentary Behaviour Research Network and try to develop an online database related to sedentary behaviour research. And then for us from this project can input all the data we found from the different chronic diseases which are focused in this area. 
So what we decided to do was actually split this into two projects. So project one, we decided we'll be focusing on how much sitting time is too much. And is there a threshold um, across the multiple chronic diseases we've identified? The second project will then be looking at the acute and chronic effects of interrupting this prolonged sitting time on health-related outcomes across the different chronic diseases. So we're looking, our plan is to start next month with um, database searching, and we're hoping to look through Medline, Sinel, and the Cochrane Library. Some key terms which we're gonna use are sedentary behavior and sitting time. Um, in project two, we'll be including terms such as interrupting sitting time or breaking up as well. The search strategy will be run separately for each chronic disease, and I'll show you the different categories we identified at this stage. And we'll only be changing those terms or mesh terms related to the chronic disease. So we have that searched separately. And then we'll be splitting that up between the members. So members can focus on an area or region or chronic disease, which they know best. Um, at this stage, we've identified six different chronic diseases. So if we have a look at project one, now, the way we wanted to do project one was to compare against the healthy. So we've included healthier. But as you can see, we've got the range of uh, six here. So we've got psychiatric, neurological, metabolic, cardiovascular, musculoskeletal, and cancers. So for this one, we won't have an intervention or a comparison, but the outcome should include a measure of sedentary behavior, either objective or subjective, and a health-related outcome. The second um, project, this one where we're looking at the interventions. So for this, we're including the same uh, population group minus the healthy. And then the intervention is looking at an, an experimental condition that interrupts prolonged sitting time. So we're looking at greater than or equal to two bouts. And then the comparison will be against an uninterrupted bout of sitting. And again, we're looking at health-related outcomes and then a measure of sedentary behavior. Now, because we're still kind of finalizing um, the search strategy, the research project itself, uh, the main questions, we're happy for anyone who has any input or thinks this will be a great area to look at. We're really happy, we're still open to ideas at this stage, but our plan is so we can get the ball rolling is to start the database search um, next month. We will then be going through title and abstract screening uh, full text screening, as well as manuscripts and data extraction table development. So that will be June to August. And then August to December, looking at extracting the data we have in the manuscript development. And then next year is kind of our plan to then move to publish all the data we've got, but also trying to create that online database. And as I say, this is a very rough guideline as to what we're looking to do currently at this stage. And we're hoping that we can get it all done within the year. And then next year, we'll be moving on to developing the, the online database. And that's where it would be great to have these discussions of how should we do it? Where should we go with it? Should we merge with other groups? What have other groups done? And trying to develop and build from that. So that's a very brief rundown of the Senate Behaviour Council uh, project, which we will have upcoming starting next month, hopefully. So watch this space. So our next speaker is Dr. Lauren Shearer. She's, going to, she's a professor of physical activity and public health at Loughborough University. And she's going to be talking about the International Children's Accelerometry Database. Well, hi, everyone. My name is Lauren Shearer, and I'm based at Loughborough University in the United Kingdom. 
I would first off like to thank ISPA for this kind opportunity to share some information and experience about a project that I've been working on for over a decade called the International Children's Accelerometry Database or ICAD for short. I'm hoping that during this presentation there'll be some insights and considerations that will be relevant to the discussion surrounding building an international database on sedentary behaviours. So ICAD began, like many initiatives do, with a successful grant application in 2008 to the NPRI funding scheme. The principal investigator was Professor Chris Riddick with Olf Eklund, Ken Judge and Ashley Cooper as co-applicants. I was appointed, newly out of my PhD, as a full-time research associate with another part-time research associate, Pippa Grew, who was doing this work alongside her PhD. So in brief, the rationale behind the grant application was that in 2008, waste-worn accelerometry was becoming more routinely used in studies of children, with the ACTGRAPH accelerometer being the mo monitor of choice. This meant that for the first time there was an opportunity to pool accelerometer data from studies across the world and reduce the accelerometer data in a standardised way. In addition, there was an opportunity to harmonise the accompanying data so the data across all studies was comparable. The idea behind this is it would permit meta-analyses using individual study data and create a more heterogeneic and potentially more representative sample. Through this aim, the grant deliverables were to produce three papers that answer three, at that time, timely questions. The first one was looking at the association between physical activity, sedentary time and cardiometabolic health. The second one was again looking at physical activity and sedentary time, but this time how it related to socioeconomic status, in particular maternal education. And the last paper was looking at the prevalence and trends of physical activity and sedentary time across countries. A secondary aim that was not included in the grant, but was decided by us all quite early on, was that we would try and create a data set that would be used more widely by the scientific community to, ad to address a diverse range of additional questions. So again, not part of the original grant application, but it was certainly a motive of ours to have a long-standing database that other people could use. So what did we do? We started off with a pragmatic search for potential studies. The inclusion criteria was waste-worn data from an actograph monitor in children of from three years of age and up. The studies that we included in ICAD, we decided needed to be of a reasonable sample size, and we retrospectively decided that this was going to be a sample of greater than 400. We did have to be a little bit more flexible with the preschool studies as there were less studies in this population at that time and they did tend to be smaller. So we ultimately approached 24 partners and of those 24, 20 agreed to participate. Those that declined did so because their data was most often too recently collected and thus they had either not published from the data themselves or they were still in the, in the phase of data collection. So once the data transfer agreements were signed, the raw actograph.dat files and accompanying non-accelerometer data were transferred securely to us. 
In addition, I conducted interviews with the partners of the contributing data to ask questions about the accelerometer deployment. These included, for example, questions about when monitors were deployed versus when the monitors were worn and how they were returned. This was really valuable when I was reducing the accelerometer data. This map shows the studies that contributed data to ICAD. Um, as you can see, the studies that met our inclusion criteria were um, from America, Europe and Australia, and there was one study from Brazil. In terms of the data that was transferred, we had raw, raw .dat files from a number of different actograph monitors, with the majority programmed to collect data at a 60-second epoch. For those young people listening, you might not be aware, but the Actograph GT1M monitors and back did not collect raw Hertz data, but only collected epoch level data. And at that time, the memory and battery life restrictions of the monitor meant that if you wanted to collect data for seven days, you were um, restricted to a 60 second epoch. A large number of other variables were transferred, which included variables that covered health, socioeconomic status, home and family. The Actograph data was reduced using the Kinesoft software. At this time, it was the only software that was available that could process a large batch of files at one time and also had quite a sophisticated forensic track checks of the data, which included a graphing function. Because obviously I was reducing the data, but I wasn't part of any of the data collection for these individual studies, this kind of forensic checks and also visual depiction of the data was really important. The files were run in batches and the data that came out of it were in Excel files and then these were then merged um, together to create a large data set of accelerometer data. Again, the forensic checks were required because at, back in 2008-2009 we were challenged by the fact that the actograph devices tended to lead to more spurious files than we typically get today with the same monitor. But also the academic field was much less settled on the data reduction decisions than they are today. So this was also in addition to individual studies using very differing in initialising and deployment protocols. Unfortunately, I don't have time to go into any detail about this now, but if you are interested in the um, data reduction decisions and methods that we use, there was a paper published on this which outlines our processes. So this graph shows the breakdown of the final um, ICAD sample by gender and age. As you can see, the sample is more biased towards the 8 to 14 year olds. The imbalance of girls at 14 years of age was because of the very large female only trial from the US, which was called Project TAG. So in addition to the accelerometry data, a large number of variables were harmonized across the studies to create inferential equivalence. Here is an example of how raw maternal education categories were recoded for ICAD analysis. So the process of setting up ICAD-1 took about 18 months. So between 2010 and 2014, we set about publishing the core papers and facilitating others to also use the ICAD dataset. 
In this time, we had a bit of reshuffling um, of the working group, primarily because of retirements, and welcomed the fantastic Esther Van Schloos from University of Cambridge onto the working group. In 2014, we undertook a second wave of activity, which we called ICAD2, which involved receiving new waves of data from the 13 longitudinal studies in ICAD, which had been recently collected, but also collected some additional non-accelerometer data from seven studies in ICAD that hadn't been um, transferred originally. We made the decision to reduce all the new and old accelerometer data again and followed very similar procedures to ICAD1. In addition, a more extensive and robust non-accelerometer data harmonization protocols were developed and used, which considerably improved the breadth of ICAD as a resource. We were very fortunate to have two very talented and at that time early career researchers, Bjorga Hermann Hanser, now at the University of Agda in Norway, and Andy Atkin from the University of East Anglia in the UK. And more details of the data harmonisation from ICAD can be found in this paper, which was led by Andy. So alongside the work described, we also had to develop protocols and resources for data management and data sharing. And this was quite a large undertaking. Um, currently, the data in ICAD is managed by the MRC Epidemiology Unit at the University of Cambridge, and they have an awful lot of capacity um, and skills around data management. The day-to-day -day management of the resource and application is handled by the working group, and there is a wider steering committee for strategic oversight. Those interested in using ICAD data to, to produce a manuscript need to complete an application. This application is circulated to the ICAD working group and the steering group to check primarily that the proposal is unique, so it hasn't been already addressed using the ICAD data, and also that we have the data to address the question. When approved, an applicant will sign a data sharing agreement to get access to the data. All ICAD papers are asked to invite one member of the study that they are using data from as an author, and there is also a group authorship list, which includes working group members and any partners that do not meet the um, authorship requirements. So this application and publishing process is facilitated by a website on the MRC Epidemiology Unit website with a host of resources and guidelines. So at present, we have 32 papers published from ICAD and data from ICAD was presented in the seminal Lancet Physical Activity Supplement. Um, many of the papers have been authored by early career researchers, which we're very proud of. We also have 17 ongoing proposals that are being worked up into manuscripts. So there are a number of transferable learnings, uh, I think, to a sedentary behaviour database. I'm going to focus on, on three of them. I think it's really important to give careful thought to the aim of the database. This includes whether it is a data, a data set that's going to be used to answer a set of pertinent research questions, or if it's going to be set up as a long-standing and potentially open access data set. If it is the latter, the data management, governance and policies require much thought. Also, it's worth considering whether 
what are the most important questions? For example, just to give you a few, if secular trend questions are the most relevant, then the older studies would need to be prioritised. However, if in the field it was deemed that the associations between specific sedentary behaviours and health are more of interest, then likely more contemporary studies would be focused on because of the changes in sedentary behaviours, for example, moving from predominantly TV watching um, to mobile phone use. It is tempting to be very ambitious, I know firsthand, but don't underestimate the amount of work. Um, ICAD, partly by the nature of the data that was available in 2008, was quite focused. Even with this narrow focus, it was an inordinate amount of work and fairly complex to create the data set. If it were to be done now, and there are some sister projects underway or in conception, there is the option to go bigger, including many more devices, as you can imagine, many more placements in addition to the many more studies that are now available. So that's a pragmatic decision needs to be made regarding ambition and what is feasible. In ICAD, we did all of the work centrally and also continue to oversee the application process. This model is likely not feasible for new bigger initiatives without sustained core funding. This is where new projects may benefit from federated um, analyses approaches where the owners of the data hold their data and the data reduction and analyses are conducted via a cloud-based system. This would also help with any country-specific data protection considerations. Now I'm going to do a self-serving plug. Um, we are always open to applications, so please, if you are interested in using the ICAD um, resource, please do visit our website. Lastly, ICAD has been a large team effort, and thus I wanted to extend recognition and thanks to those individuals who are currently contributing to ICAD, but also to recognise that there are many individuals over the years that were involved and gave up a lot of their time for ICAD. So many thanks to them as well. And thank you all for listening, and I look forward to the discussions that are upcoming. Thank you, Lauren. That was, uh, that was a fantastic uh, talk there. So now we have, um, so again, if you have any questions, just a reminder, if you have any questions for the speakers, um, please feel free to put it in the chat. If you have questions for the uh, panel discussion at the end, put those questions in the Q&A if you're happy to wait. But if you want to ask questions throughout, uh, put it in the chat. I'm sure they'll, uh, the speakers will be happy to answer any questions for you. So now we have uh, Dr. Mark Tremblay from the Central Behaviour Research Network. Uh, he's a professor at the University of Ottawa and a senior scientist with the Healthy Acti Active Living and Obesity Research Group. So here's Mark's presentation. Hello, everyone. Um, thank you very much to the ISPA Sedentary Behaviour Council uh, for the opportunity to participate in this webinar series. My name is Mark Tremblay, and I'm presenting to you uh, from my home office, where I've inhabited for the last two years uh, here in Ottawa, Canada. And uh, I'm here to present uh, as part of this webinar on the Sedentary Behavior Research Network. And I'm gonna talk a little bit about the network, what it is, what it's accomplished, and, and then towards the end in a, and in anticipation of some discussion, talk about um, perhaps um, how ESPERN could contribute to or participate in the development of a global uh, sedentary behavior database. So. Without further ado, 
just to orient you, um, where that little red dot is, is where I am and where the uh, Sedentary Behavior Research Network uh, originates from. So it's within Canada, within Ontario, within Ottawa. And part of the reason for uh, identifying this is because I'd like to begin with uh, territorial acknowledgement, as we often do here in Canada. And so I am grateful for the gifts of land, water, and air the Creator provided. Over the years, many have lived on this land, used the water, and breathed the air, and we all share the responsibility to preserve, protect, and respect them. Today, I live, work, play, and pray on the, un on the traditional unceded territory of the Algonquin Anishinaabek people. I thank them for their oversight and stewardship of these gifts and commit to working with them to preserve, protect, and respect the land, water, and air of this territory, and with all Indigenous nations of Turtle Island within the land we now call Canada. So just uh, with a wee bit of history, in uh, 2010, I published with colleagues uh, this paper, review paper really, based on work uh, and experiences of the previous maybe five years or so, at least within my lab, uh, where increasingly work began to happen on sedentary behavior and others in the world, of course, were ahead of us and, and doing wonderful work on this. Um, but but we, we got increasingly engaged in sedentary behavior research, separate and distinct from physical inactivity research. And this paper has been cited nearly 2000 times. Um, and in the paper, I introduce the SIT formula, sort of the sedentary equivalent of the FIT formula. So the sedentary frequency, interruptions, time and type analogous to what many of you or all of you will be familiar with uh, from every exercise gym you go into. And so with this work um, <clears throat> and with Travis Saunders in, in the middle picture here, <clears throat> who was a PhD student of mine at the time and whose dissertation was focusing on sedentary behavior research uh, in, in young in children. Um, and Travis and Joel and I were out for a walking meeting one day um, and the idea of Esburn emerged and we decided that we should create this network uh, as increasing interest in sedentary behavior around the world was emerging. And so um, in essence, Esburn was founded during that meeting. And so what is Esburn? So the Sedentary Behavior Research Network was established in 2011 with a mission to connect sedentary behavior researchers and health professionals working in all fields of study and to disseminate this research into the academic community and the public at large. Since then, Esperin has grown steadily uh, to greater than 2,200 total members, with only about 200 that I would say are active from greater than 60 countries. And it's the largest to our knowledge, the largest network of professionals from multiple sectors and disciplines interested in sedentary behavior in the world. And, and so I don't wanna belabor this, but my sedentary behavior research and those of most of my colleagues came out of sort of exercise science world, physical activity researchers that were interested in looking at the other end of the spectrum. But there are many, many other areas of research uh, that people um, study sedentary behavior in from human factors and ergonomics and occupational therapy and, and, and so on. And we wanted to invite all of them under this same tent to learn from one another. 
So the Sedentary Behavior Research Network is the only organization for researchers and health professionals which focuses specifically on the health impact of sedentary behavior. And our mission is to connect researchers and health professionals working in all fields of study and to disseminate research to the academic community and to the public at large. We're a membership-based organization, and you can see highlighted in red in the top right corner there how you can click on to join Esburn. It's free. We would love if you would give us a small donation, um, and it's explained to you when you get there. It'll take you about one minute to join, and uh, you'll have access to our information and our newsletters that come out monthly. So with uh, the dates I've provided, you'll know that we are now more than 10 years old. We celebrated our 10th anniversary last summer. And in doing that, we created a bit of a list of some of the things that we've accomplished in that time. So some notable achievements, notable at least in our minds. Um, we first posted on the Esperin website, which is again, sedentarybehavior.org, sedentary behavior with behavior spelled either way. Um, we, we did that on uh, July 21st, 2011. One of the earliest things we did, and really one of the impetuses for us to, um, to create Esburn was this um, sort of uh, synonymous use of sedentary behavior with physical inactivity. And when people do systematic reviews in the area, and we had done a number, it gets very difficult to find the information you want that is on sedentary behavior, studying sedentary behavior, as opposed to studying the absence of physical activity or the absence of meeting some physical activity guideline. So we committed to writing a series of uh, letters to the editor, hoping to convince editors to require people submitting papers to them uh, to use these terms correctly. And that was very, very effective, actually. And those letters to the editor, in fact, have been cited very heavily. We created a listserv with periodic communications in 2012. In 2012, we also met with ISPA uh, formally, long before the Sedentary Behavior Council existed, to talk about the creation of a Sedentary Behavior Council and how Esperin and, and, and that council might be one in the same, or at least could collaborate. I'll talk a wee bit more about that on the next slide. We created a questionnaire library. This is what members were asking for. They're saying, how, how do people measure sedentary behavior? And so we collected uh, sedentary behavior questionnaires and populated them on the website with an easy to access tab. We celebrated our thousandth member in November, 2015. We completed a very detailed terminology consensus project and released that and, and published it in June of 2017. Some of you will be familiar with that and I'll talk briefly about that further. That article was very successful very quickly and in fact won the Springer Nature Change the World One Article at a Time Award the next year. We began regular newsletters in January 2019 and so these come out monthly, usually in the first week of the month with uh, article summaries, blogs, and so on. Easy to flick through, easy to delete if, uh, if you're not interested, but will help to keep you up to date on what's, um, what's being published and what's going on in the world in sedentary behavior research. The terminology paper then won the International Journal of Behavioral Nutrition and Physical Activity Most Cited Methodology Paper Award the next year. We created and gave out 
the first batch of Esburn Awards uh, globally in August of 2020. We did it this past August as well. So there have been two rounds of them. If you're a member of Esburn, you're eligible to receive and nominate people for these awards. Our 2000th member joined in September 2020. We published a commentary supporting the, the new Canadian 24-hour movement guidelines for adults, which made specific recommendations on both sedentary behavior and screen time behavior for adults, which was rather controversial. And we surveyed the Esburn membership to solicit to determine whether or not they supported these, and indeed they did, and we reported that in that commentary, which is available open access. Recently, we initiated the Esburn's um, School-Related Sedentary Behavior Recommendations Project, uh, and I'll talk briefly about that uh, more in a minute. That uh, began about a year and a half ago. And just at the beginning of last year, we um, changed our membership model to one where it wasn't sort of a lifetime membership that we wanted people to renew each year just so we could keep our listserv fresh. Um, we have 2,200 people in our listserv. When we send out to them, some of those addresses don't work anymore. Some people are inactive and so on. So every January, we ask people to just renew your membership. It takes a minute to do. It uh, doesn't cost you anything unless you're prepared to try and help us with, with our annual costs, which uh, is appreciated. So this is the title slide that I used when we met um, at the International Congress on Physical Activity and Public Health, the ISPA Congress, as it's called now, in Sydney in 2012. So this was Esburn meeting with uh, ISPA that was interested in creating a sedentary behavior council. We had very good discussions at that time, and obviously the Sedentary Behavior Council moved forward. This is the, um, the Sedentary Behavior uh, Research Network terminology consensus paper uh, front page, if you will. Um, there are actually about 70 co-authors on this um, project that were all Esburn members. And among many other things, we defined sedentary behavior by consensus as any waking behavior characterized by an energy expenditure less than or equal to 1.5 mets while in a sitting, reclining, or lying posture. And in the paper, we published this ontology taxonomy to try and create some harmonization about the structure of uh, sedentary behavior and the other movement behaviors as well as we're moving towards a 24-hour movement paradigm. I mentioned in the uh, notable accomplishments of Esburn that we've started and now basically have finished the creation of global school-related sedentary behavior recommendations for children and youth. So some of you will be familiar with different sedentary behavior recommendations, perhaps from your country or from the World Health Organization or some other group, but they tend to be total sedentary behavior. And when referring to, to um, to sedentary behavior, they often, in fact, usually talk about recreational sedentary behavior, that type of behavior that we have control over, to not sort of police or penalize work-related, or in this case, school-related sedentary behavior. Yet we have demands and calls frequently from different education groups asking us, how much screen time should kids get at school? How much should they be sitting? What can we do to mitigate these factors? And so we've responded to that as we have to other initiatives in the past. 
And so led by Dr. Travis Saunders, who you saw his picture earlier, we began this process with a purpose to develop recommendations for school-related sedentary behaviors for school-aged children and youth globally. And these recommendations will be relevant to school-related sedentary behaviors performed both at school and at home while doing school work. So we want to address homework as well. We created an expert panel to guide this project. Again, this is about a year and a half ago this began with representation from all parts of the world and from several, several different sectors. Uh, some of you on the call may be listed here and we thank you for your participation and your guidance through this process. And so this project, as I mentioned, is basically finished. Um, and so we have two manuscripts that are accepted uh, for publication in the International Journal of Behavioral Nutrition and Physical Activity. They will be one on the overall process and the final recommendations and one on the systematic review evidence informing those uh, recommendations. Uh, those are in production now, uh, so we don't have an exact date, but we think it will be in the first two weeks of March that these will be published. We've already had them translated into all of these languages, um, and those are available, will be available on our website. They are on our website now, you just can't access them. Um, but as soon as we officially launch the recommendations, they will be available not only in English, but in all these languages. And if anyone on the call speaks a different language and would like to take uh, it upon themselves to translate into another language, they're really not very long. It's a few hundred words. Um, we require a, a back translation and so on. We have a process for this, but please contact me or, or Esbern um, and, and offer your services and we'll, we'll coach you through that process and get um, an additional language then added to our website when these are launched. We're doing other, creating other knowledge translation materials for you, for stakeholders, including a whiteboard video that will basically describe these uh, in a minute or two, uh, a PowerPoint presentation with the background information and the process used that people can use or play. And we're hoping to tape a webinar as well that you could just take and play for a particular group to, to describe these, like a school could take this and, and use it at a staff um, meeting or something like that. And finally, the official release is, will happen imminently. Uh, the papers are in production. We have our press release already uh, printed and our social media uh, messages already prepared. Uh, we just have to wait from the journal for, for a final date, which uh, if I were to guess, I'm gonna, I'm gonna think of somewhere between the 10th and 20th of, of March. So, so stay tuned, you'll be able to find out uh, more about this on the Esperan website and hopefully uh, through your social media channels and so on. And we would ask for your assistance in disseminating these through your um, networks and channels uh, as well so that we can have as great an impact as possible and mitigate unnecessary sedentary behavior for our kids in school. In terms of uh, exposure, um, we get about 50,000 visitors per year to our website, about 100,000 pages, uh, page views per year. Um, the media use it to access us or other experts that are in the area when they need comments on news stories and these sorts of things. We have a Twitter account that is there with um, just under 2,000 uh, followers at the moment. Okay, so none of that was really what this, uh, at least the title of this webinar was about. Um, and I wasn't dodging that 
but rather setting the stage so you know sort of the capacity and the history of Esperin and how we may be able to contribute to the creation of a database as I think most people on the call and I think the ISPA organizers are thinking of the database. But before I get there, I will say that Esperin does have a rather substantive paper database available on the website. This is what we do. We collect and catalog and describe um, papers that are in the field, the very broad field, not just physical activity field. We have a people database of over 2,200 people from greater than 60 countries that are interested in sedentary behavior research. We have an initiatives database. If you go to our website, regularly we are posting things that are going on around the world, posting um, research summaries, blogs by people that have written research papers recently and so on. So that's already there. So when we think about databases, um, let's think rather holistically about them. But I think what most people are thinking about here is raw sedentary behavior, which I spelled wrong, uh, database. Um, so accelerometer, inclinometer uh, data or questionnaire data at an individual level that might have been collected on a nationally representative sample of people from wherever. We do not have that at present. There's a lot of complexities to that, which Lauren will have presented or will present in her presentation about ICAD. But do we want to build or is someone already building a global database? Should this be a future initiative? Is it something Esperin should lead? Is someone already leading this and Esperin could help support, advertise, disseminate? Be happy to discuss that in the question and answer period that uh, is coming shortly. Should such a database include reported information as well as device-based data? One or the other, both. And as most of you will be aware, um, and Lauren presented uh, on the ICAD, um, so it already has device-based information uh, of relevance to sedentary behavior. Fewer of you may be aware of SADI, which is the Sleep and Activity Database for the Early Years, which is sort of like ICAD for the Early Years. Data from around the world that is being collected on early years children, as opposed to school-aged uh, children and youth, which ICAD focuses on. Same sort of idea, and the idea to study 24-hour movement behaviors, frankly, um, uh, but device-based. And I'll just mention, as, as I close up here, uh, Crosby, which some of you may have participated in, uh, some may be aware, some may not, um, uh, but Crosby stands for Consensus Development of a Core Research Outcome Set for Sedentary Behavior Interventions, CROSBY, Standardized Measurement and Reporting. This is a project of researchers out of Ireland uh, with, with several of us around the world participating in it and Esbern helping them to reach their consensus process. This uh, project is done, the paper is written, it'll likely be submitted uh, for publication next week. The process, of course, will take however long it will take, but I would guess in, in three, or, three or four months, this will be published. And the reason I point this out is because it'll provide a framework and a base for future sedentary behavior intervention studies to report this common set of, of indicators, um, which would facilitate the robust development of any future sedentary behavior database. So I will just close and encourage you to join Esburn. It's free or whatever you're willing to contribute. I thank you very much for your attention and I look forward to your 
comments and uh, questions as um, in, in the next part of the presentation. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever app you're using. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.